Excellent. Well, I am Tara, but who's been thinking I'm Tara this whole time? Anybody? Like, yeah, I know. It's a terrible name. I don't know what my parents were thinking. Um, I, my only rule with naming the girls was pronounceable. That was it. I'm open to any name as long as you see it and you say it. So we liked Madeline, and then someone said, oh, Madeline? And I was like, out. We're not naming our daughter Madeline. No. So, um, but I do bring love from Fred and Sophie and Ella, and also from my elders. I'm a member of a Presbyterian church in Billings, Montana, and any time I'm invited to um, serve either in a mediation or church conflict ses uh, session, no, setting, or a teaching setting, I always submit those requests to my husband and to my pastor, my elder, and they are praying for you. They pray for me. Lord knows I need that prayer. And then they also pray for you. So you've got a bunch of men in Montana praying for you. Um, I also want to tell you my little inside scoop to your OPC. Our church was OPC founded, so love the OPC. And I think I was here in Marietta. Um, and that was OPC too, I think, or maybe PCA. OPC. So, um, and for the Desert Springs, I read Take Your Vitamin Z every day. Does anybody else read Take Your Vitamin Z? Yes. <laughs> Pastor Zach. Every day. I quote over to him all the time. So on my blog, I'm always like, thanks, Z. You know, like I'm real cash. I just put a link, thanks, Z, as though I know him. But I don't know him, but you know him. So there is, as those of you who don't know, there is a, a gentleman here who's a, a church plant. Is that correct? He's pastoring a church plant and working at an iPod phone store thingy or something? Right. So I don't know him personally, but I feel like I know him because and I couldn't believe it was you when I found out. I'm like, oh, it's Desert Springs. Let's take your right Z. So... Uh, that's all we have for this session, so we'll be closing out. No, just kidding. Just kidding. No, we're going to be talking about fear. Fear and fear not and peace and rest. And um, I want to explain at the beginning that I'm not talking uh, this weekend about uh, positive fear. Because isn't it true that fear is a good thing? It can be a very good thing. I live in a state um, where livestock outnumber humans 12 to 1. Totally true. Montana, Montana iPhones didn't work in Montana until last year. That's kind of, I know, boondocks, that's where we live. And, um, but I also live in bear country, or very near bear country, which to me is the same thing, right? If you're close, I'm from Chicago originally, so I like the Chicago bears, but not the bear bears, right? I'm not into the bears. And um, when we moved there, I thought we'd be camping and hiking, and isn't this so fun to be in God's creation? Hallelujah. No, every time I'm out, in the wild, I'm just like, <laughs> because, um, sure, statistically, you're more likely to be hit by lightning five times or die in your bathtub or then be eaten by a bear. But don't you just think if you were eaten by a bear, it'd be a really bad way to go, right? This is what I like. I just, I, I have a very, um, I think, healthy, God-given, natural fear of bears. So that's a good fear. Um, we also know, of course, and we're going to talk about it, that the uh, fear of the Lord is a good thing. It's the beginning of wisdom, and so we are to long for these good fears. But um, if we were just here to spend our time talking about good fears, that might not be that helpful or productive. So instead, we're going to talk about the negative fears, uh, debilitating fears, fears that sometimes we describe as words like anxiety or worry. Um, for some of us, we actually go all the way to phobias. Uh, my brother-in-law, who is also named Fred, isn't that funny? My sister and I both married men named Fred. Fred one and Fred two. That's what we call them. Fred one. But um, he always uses the phrase, scary like a spider. That's what he says. It's scary like a spider. He cannot handle spiders. And the guy's like 6'3". He's this big, strapping man, but ooh, it's scary like a spider. So, I mean, I hear some people are afraid of public speaking. Raise your hand. Anybody? Anybody? Yeah, I, I know. They actually did a survey once that... Um, more people are afraid of public speaking than they are of afraid to die. Have you heard that? <laughs> Just give me a lapel mic and a Bible in a room. I'm good. I'm happy. I'm happy. But, um, so we're going to talk about these debilitating or negative fears. Why? Why is it worth um, spending the day on this topic? Um, especially those of us with young children who are here, and maybe you left dads at home with long lists and a lot of fear there. So... <laughs> It's kind of like you want to be like, hey, to your best friend, that was fine. We hit the first session. Let's go, let's go to Starbucks. Let's get out of here, you know. And, or let's find a quiet room and take a nap. That's kind of more what I want. Just, I, could, I could use the restroom, even the men's one, alone. You know, this is like, that's a vacation when you have small children. So, um, so why come back to each session? Because now you're stuck in this one, but why come back? Um, the, the foundational reason is because fear is a big topic in the Bible. In the Old and New Testaments, um, the command, do not be afraid, 
Does anybody have any idea how many times that appears in Scripture? Do not be afraid. Just take a guess. Ten? Anybody else? Hundred? Three hundred times. More than three hundred times the Bible says, Do not be afraid, Abram, in Genesis 15. Do not be afraid, Hagar. Do not be afraid, Jacob. Do not be afraid, Moses, Daniel. Jesus said, Do not be afraid of those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Jesus said, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. Do not worry. Do not be afraid. The number of times that God addresses this topic shows us that he knows this life has lots of reasons to fear. It also shows us how much he cares for us. That he cares for us. It is not this image of a a judge standing up and ordering, do not be afraid. There, there are elements of, of moral, there are moral elements involved with our fear. We're going to talk about that. But over and over, more and more, it is this um, image of what? A shepherd comforting his sheep, of a father comforting his child, even of a mother hen. Isn't it true? Tucking her babes under her wing and saying, oh, don't, don't be afraid. Mama's here. Mama's here. Um, we're, we are uh, potty training, finally, uh, Ella, just last Friday. So <laughs> is today Saturday? Yeah, we're a week into it now. And um, she is, she is our, our, our last. We're pretty, pretty old. And, of course, always open to adoption and, and wondering if the Lord might provide a way for that. But, but no, more, no more of the uh, biological babies coming, coming our way. And Fred and I, it's interesting, we've had such a hard time letting her not be a baby. We still, I know some of you are going to really judge me and write me a, a note on your little handout. That's fine. Um, I'm good with it. Bring it. Bring it on, you know. Um, Fred and I have talked about it. We still give her a bottle. Now, this is a kid who can take a glass glass and drink perfectly fine. She's not developmentally delayed. She's to- totally fine in that regard. But we love that holding her at that, that height, that difference of the face, the eye to eye. And we were talking. We said, you know, maybe now that we're out getting on the diapers, we should, you know bottle gone before college. I don't know. What should we do? And, um, but he and I both said last week, you know what? It's a heavy travel season for you. We don't need to. It's, we're good. Let's just let it go. And why is it? Because we both love that, um, holding that baby and just eye to eye and talking with her. And of course, now that she can talk in complete sentences, we really should ditch the bottle. But, um, <laughs> but isn't that what we long for? Right? When, my, when my husband was little, he told me that his dad, who was a, a large animal veterinarian in a small Midwestern uh, town, but when he would tuck his five boys in, Fred's the youngest of five boys. Can you imagine? Boy, 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 boy. Oh, boy. <laughs> his mother, St. Chris, as I call her. Um, but he would, he would come over to uh, Fred at night, and he'd tuck him in, and he'd say, and he'd take his little scritchy beard, and he'd scritch it on Fred's cheeks, and he'd say, good night, Fredzel. That's what he called Fred. Good night, my Fredzel. And scritch him on the cheeks. I know. It's like, I, I wanted the daddy to say good night, Fredzel, to me. You know, this is what I want. So, um, but this is the image. This is the idea. God knows that this world has lots of reasons to fear, and yet he is there as this comforting, um, and even so much better than Mr. Barthel could do, right? Because God has all the resources at his disposal. He, as much as uh, my husband's dad would want to keep his children safe. Could he keep his children safe? No. Can God keep his children safe? Yes. This is the arc of this entire day, and I hope what we constantly are saying throughout each session as well. Now, we're going to be opening to various um, scripture passages as we go throughout the day, but we're going to read out loud together the entire epistle of first one. Uh, first one. First one. First one. <laughs> don't have that in your Bible, huh? <laughs> no, I'm in trouble. Um, first, Peter is what I meant to say. Um, we're going to do this for many reasons. One is because I, I don't know how many times you get to hear the Bible read, but there is something different about receiving biblical teaching orally than just reading it. And especially in our now our constant... Uh, life of scanning, scanning, you know, quick little zipping online when you get your little feed of whatever, 200 articles that you scan, just the scan of the scans. I mean, it just gets so overwhelming. So there's something different about um, slowing down 
and receiving something orally. And they do have Bibles strategically placed throughout. So if you don't have your Bible with you, make yourself known. And I bet someone with a wide white lanyard or (laughs) the Desert Springs will get you a Bible. So please wave and helpers jump up and get them Bible. Um, The another reason, though, I want to read First Peter in its entirety is because I think many of us have very good intentions about reading big chunks of Scripture. But how often do we really do it? We think we're going to do it. We make plans to do it. We read books about doing it. Have you ever read books about how we should do it? Yep. It's like, you know, listening to sermons on prayer. So helpful. And, you know, and then you read a book on prayer. Excellent. This is great. But do we actually ever pray? You know, just hypothetically. So um, I think it's good to have that big chunk. I want to remind myself and you how good it is to sit and just to read a large chunk of scripture, to let our minds saturate in it. Now, can we do a true inductive Bible study in four brief sessions? Of course not. There, it's just not possible. And that's why I hope you will all go back to your um, home churches and be digging deep. I am trusting you already are um, digging deep into God's word. But we will kind of we'll hit the surface. So that's um, some of the reasons why I want to go through First Peter. But here's another reason. In uh, one of my favorite books, I brought you guys my favorite books on fear. Um, One of my favorite books on fear is Ed Welch's book, Running Scared, Fear, Worry, and the God of Rest. So Ed Welch, who, by the way, I'm a total Ed Welch junkie. I am. I met him once and I was like this, you know, I don't know who's famous, but I like theologians. I'm like a groupie. Hi, hi, hi. So good to meet you. So good to meet you. So, um, and he's very nice man, but um, Running Scared, he says in this book, and I'm going to kind of paraphrase him here, but the gist is this. Peter was a fear specialist. The apostle Peter was a fear specialist. And can't you embrace that? Think about the things he was afraid of. Of course, immediately he jumped to uh, when he was out of the boat and he's walking on the water. And then what happens? The storm and the winds, and he loses sight. He takes his eyes off of the Lord, and he's overcome by fear, and he begins to sink. Um, really, Peter's... Uh, just the, the biggest failure of all, con- all life, really. And for all of us, it, we would have done the exact same thing. Um, but here, even on the very night that Jesus was betrayed, and uh, he, after Peter had made all these bold statements, this is what we do. I will never betray you, Lord. Even if I, I will not, not me, never. And then, of course, you know, there's a fire and a little servant girl. And, and Peter, Peter is so afraid, even of a no one. Right? Not just a woman, but a girl. Back then, that society, I mean, really chattel, yes? And not just a girl, a servant girl. I mean, this is about as, this is low, if she had been a Samaritan servant girl, it would be the only thing really lower, right? So we're talking lowest, lowest. And yet, he becomes this quivering little pile of jello, right? And he denies the Lord, even to a servant girl, because he's so overcome by fear. And yet, what happens? What happens to the fear specialist Peter? That he would then write this epistle, 1 Peter, and 2 Peter, of course, as well. Jesus is raised from the dead, and Peter sees him. Listen, Jesus is raised from the dead, and Peter sees him. He sees the risen Christ in his glory. Now, all of the things that Jesus had taught them throughout his years of ministry began, they, they took, they, the lights were coming on, right? Everything was coming together. Because why? He was dead. He was dead. We saw him die. He was buried. But now I'm here eating fish with this man, with this God, with this one the one person in all time who was fully God and fully man with Jesus, the risen Christ. And then what happens to Peter? No more fear. Yes? Confidence, hope, boldness. Did Peter suffer? Yes. Did Peter even suffer the painful and shameful death of crucifixion? Uh, Some historians even believe he was crucified upside down, right? He said, I cannot be crucified like my Lord. I I just can't. But is crucifixion not the most painful uh, death? And yet he went there boldly, never denying the Lord. The death, okay, here's the difference. You got the servant girl and the little, and then now we have crucifixion. What is the difference? 
What made the change? Well, Peter got his act together. Peter became a, a better person. He stopped doing bad things, and he started doing good things. And gee, Peter used to be really weak, but now he is strong. Is that what changed? Did Peter's circumstances change? Uh, yeah, for the worse, right? But what changed? Peter saw the risen Christ. He saw him. He listened to him. He believed him. And then everything else in this life, it began to be interpreted through the lens of that, this, this Savior. And then what did Peter begin to be known as? Did you know what his little nickname is? Peter is the Apostle of Hope. Peter is known... <laughs> If you go ahead, and I encourage you to do it, get some Bible studies on First and Second Peter. Carol Ruvalo has a wonderful one. I, I think Kathleen Westwell Nielsen might. If not, I hope she writes one. She's so great. Um, but if you read, you'll see over and over again the commentaries refer to Peter as the Apostle of Hope. So this is worth our time. Do you think? So let me pray for us. And then, in your handouts, we're going to just spend a little bit of time um, understanding better this idea of fear, worry, and anxiety. So what are we talking about when we talk about those things? And then we're going to read 1 Peter 1, and that will be our, um, and see how it applies, and that'll be our first session. So let me pray for us. Lord, we thank you so much that you are real. We thank you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God in three persons that though you are holy and majestic and perfect in all your ways, that you have chosen to forgive sinners like us, that you have chosen to put your love and even your very name on people like us. We could never merit you, Lord. We could never deserve you. If our relationship with you was based upon our strength and based upon um, what we could know and do, then it would be so weak it would never stand. We are often very faithless, but Lord, you are ever faithful. You are faithful. You cannot deny yourself, and you cannot and will not ever um, deny your promises. And so it's uh, with great hope and with great um, expectation that we look to your word we pray, Father, that you will remove the blinders from our eyes, that you will help us to turn our gaze away from even our suffering and the things that cause us to tremble in the night, and that we will gaze upon the risen Jesus, that we will see him, even just a glimpse of him, a glance of him. He will be lifted high, he will be lifted up, and then we will be drawn to him. All men will be drawn to him. And when we see you as you are, we know, Lord, we're going to be changed. And uh, this is our prayer, that we would be uh, more and more like Jesus, that we would enjoy you, Lord, and we would reflect you uh, to a watching world. This we pray uh, in, in your name and for your glory. Amen. Okay, so let's just take a second. Look at, you see your Proverbs there, an anxious heart weighs a man down. Fear and anxiety are weighing some of you down. And when I say you, I mean us because I mean me. Um, so, uh, some of you probably, most of you never know this, but um, I think one of you said you read my blog. And, and if you read my blog, then you know that a week ago today, I was curled in the fetal position on the floor, weeping in fear because of having to come and be with you this weekend. And I was really, I was actually begging Fred, please, please, let's find someone else to do it. <laughs> There's got to be someone who can go and talk to these women about you know, having peace and not being afraid, because I am clearly not the person to do it, because I'm curled in the fetal position on the floor in terror. And so there, that, that's my witness that I bring to you, my overcoming and victory in Jesus. <laughs> Woohoo! Um, now, some of you maybe don't get that anxious, and you're not, you're not that, that um, worried, but how is the state of your neck and shoulders? Just take a second, even right now. Oh, it's very convicting, isn't it, our bodies? Um, but just right now, go ahead and tighten up your shoulders up, and then release them down. Notice any difference? We are a tense people, people. We are. The massage therapists and the chiropractors in the room are going, amen, sister, preach it, right? Um, many of us grind our teeth. You don't want to admit it, I totally understand, but night guard, um, we like to play on, on Skype. My, my daughter and I play this little game where 
if you place something really, really, really close to the camera on your laptop, you know how it's all big and distorted so you can't tell what it is? So we play this game where we drop things down. Ah, 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 a Sharpie! That's right, because I'm never without a Sharpie, right? Um, oh, mom, it's your toothbrush. Oh, Sophie drops down, whatever. Well, last night, I dropped down my night guard case. Totally spaced her because she could not get it, right? And then she's like, oh, oh, night guard case. I'm like, that's right. Because we grind, right? This muscle, it is overly developed. We keep our teeth. And again, now the dentists and orthodontists are going, yeah, preach it, sister, right? Because we grind our teeth to little pulps. And um, then we need to have our little night guards or um, crowns. I'm at the age of crowns now. Not crown of glory, right? Crowns, right? So it's there. Um, some of us have tummy troubles. We have that flip-floppy tummy. Um, I like the way Elise Patrick, Elise Patrick, no, Elise Fitzpatrick puts it. And again, one of the four fear books I brought for you. Um, you know Elise Fitzpatrick, you've heard that. Not fat trick, but Fitzpatrick. Um, overcoming fear, worry, and anxiety. Very helpful. And I'm going to try throughout the weekend, to, I, and I, a weekend, the day, normally I'm a, a weekend retreat speaker, so sorry. Uh, we're going to try it throughout today um, to explain some of the distinctions between the books, too, so you'll know, you know what, what the different strengths are. But she says in her book, Overcoming Fear, Worry, and Anxiety, she says it this way. If you generally feel stressed about your responsibilities or fearful about your life, you won't feel comfortable relaxing. Got it. So you probably won't take the time to eat properly or exercise. Totally, obviously, not my struggle, right? Yeah. My sister has to FedEx me clothing because I can't. I'm like, I have nothing that, with, with a waistband to wear to this event. Black stretchy pants. They're just the downfall of my life, you know? So, yes. Um, you're fearful about your life. You probably won't re uh, relax. You won't, take, you won't take the time to eat properly or exercise. The inability to relax or sleep soundly will heighten the sensitivity to alarm or danger. Isn't that true? We just get like a little cat. Woo! We're skittery causing more adrenaline to be released in your body. So now we've got adrenaline. Adrenaline, once released into your body, brings sleep problems, doesn't it? So there we are in the night. And the heart's pounding. And oh, look. Now you're tired. So what do you do? You drink caffeine to overcome the tired and sluggish feeling that you have, which, of course, caffeine. Which then, we, by the way, when, you're, when your heart is pounding like that and if your mouth gets dry, um, that, your body, it's a very, it's a complicated interplay, isn't it, between soul and body. And we're going to talk about that in the next session. But the truth is, we can feel fear and our heart can pound. But when our heart pounds, our body interprets it as fear. It's very, um, it's back to, you know, my kind of cognitive psychology background. But that is the truth, that we can feel fear and our body responds. But fear is such a Primal emotion. And really think about it, it is. It's so much um, a part of even when we're just born. I love Tim Keller has a sermon called Praying Our Fears that I highly commend to you. And he says in it, he says, you know, a, a newborn baby is born. And the baby doesn't say, I'm really worried. I'm feeling guilty. Right? The baby has no complex emotions, but it screams. Rah! And what is that scream? It is a scream of fear, isn't it? What happened to my nice, warm, safe, lovely place that I was just in? Why is your finger down my throat? <laughs> right? This is, <laughs> this is primal. But we, we feel the fear, our body responds, but also our body sometimes will respond so quickly. And by the way, those of you who have ever seen a bear in the wild know what I'm talking about here. That something will happen even in our brains that releases that adrenaline, that release, that our body will feel fear before we know we're afraid, and then we feel fear. So it's all, again, we don't want to, it's not a duality. We don't want to say we're all body or soul, and it's all very complicated in its overlap, but I just, just think about it. If you can relate to that description, I certainly can. Um, but maybe it's not so extreme for you. Maybe it's not that intensity, but you just have kind of a vague little, um, a little annoying anxiety and fear, like at a women's retreat, just hypothetically. Do you ever walk into a women's retreat and just think people are looking at you? <laughs> you know, like how much time did you spend thinking about what you'd wear today? You know? 
And you just you kind of walk in, you think, oh, I don't, don't want to sit. Oh, they're so thin, total shirt tuckers, so I'm not sitting there. You know, and then you, you go to sit here. Oh, no, 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 no. And, and you know, the, the truth of the matter is, of course, that most people are so busy worrying about what we're thinking about them that they're not really actually looking at us and thinking about us. But we can feel that worry, can't we, that anxiety. Then what happens? It comes true. If we worry enough, if we worry enough, isn't it true that at some point a family member will get sick? Yes? If we're constantly anxious and constantly worried that someone's going to look at us and judge us, and then somebody, you know what, there probably is going to be someone who literally sits in a room and women walk in and she's just, <laughs> and she criticizes and she's judgmental. And so then what happens? Now we're worrying and we have anxiety and it happened. And that just reinforces our worry and our anxiety and we're more prone to worry and be anxious again. Now some of this can be rational. We talked about the bears. I, I, even, um, I, I saw a phobia um, be born in the life of Sophia when she was two. We were at a zoo and she's having fun and she's feeding the little geese and oh, it's so great. And then in one of those parenting moments where Fred thought I had her and I thought uh, he had her, a Canadian goose pecked her in the face. Now, you know, when you're two, and then there's like an Canadian goose, we're, we're eyeball to eyeball, right? Or beak to face. And that, it is, they are aggressive, mean animals. Sorry, animal people who love geese. But that's true. They're, you can love them, but they are aggressive and mean. And um, I tell you, my daughter started to get so afraid of all birds. Like we were even watching a video once where the kids were singing, um, uh, Old MacDonald had a farm and a chick chick here. And the kids were making a chicken wing. Like the children were pretending to be chickens. And I saw her go, <laughs> and it, I, I thought, if she's afraid of birds when she's 40, I'm going to totally know why, right? I, I see how that happens in our lives. And one of my friends really rebuked me, and she said, Tara, that is not a Christianly response. You need to pray that Jesus will release her from that fear, and you need to help her, and da-da-da-da. And she was right. I felt really stupid, but she was right. And now Sophie's not afraid of birds. But I, I saw it, and it made sense, right? She was afraid of birds because she had had a painful and frightening thing happen. Um, I've had some pretty bad anxiety attacks with the winter driving in Montana because up until last year, we had our little grad school two-door Honda Civic. You know, Honda Civics in Montana. This is not a good combination. And it's too slippy and slidey, and it's so dangerous. And um, one time the roads were so bad, I was lead arbitrator on a, a very important case out of town. I borrowed my friend's SUV. So a big, giant, heavy, you think you're going to be safe. And I'm driving down the road, and, and it's snowing like a blizzard, and everybody's inching along, and all of a sudden, and I still don't know why, what we found out later, um, there was a, something went wrong in the wheels. They're supposed to spin at the same time, and apparently the uh, front wheels of this car started spinning too fast. And so my SUV just started doing SUV circles. And there was a second lane of traffic coming onto me, and literally, to this day, I believe it was just God's grace alone, there was an SU, a spinning SUV-sized gap. And I spun through oncoming traffic into a ditch where in Montana they have these like 15-foot poles every once in a while on roadsides because they have to know where to cut the snow out <laughs> to get to um, the road. And I literally, I, the car ended up here. There was one of those big poles right here about an inch from the end and right here between another pole, just like this. And the tow truck couldn't even to jimmy it out. It was just so tight. So anyway, was it rational for me to have fears about driving in snow after this horrifying? Absolutely. But again, does that mean I have to spend the rest of my life in bondage? And then what happens is they start to build. Isn't it true? I'm afraid of driving in snow. Well, now I'm afraid of driving in rain. Well, now I'm just afraid of driving. You know, I really like to stay home. Agoraphobia, it sounds nice to me, right? I, I like, I can just, and then not just agoraphobia, but I'm going to stay in my room, and I'm never going to leave this chair, right? I mean, we can, we can start to become more and more um, in bondage. We also have rational fears, though. Um, does anybody have a, a recurring worry dream? Like when something stressful is about to happen and you have the same dream? Over, yeah, right? So mine is, um, I'm backstage and I hear the swelling orchestra music of the Sound of Music's 
first song, right? Da, 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 da. Right, I can't sing. And, but I'm Maria. <laughs> I'm Maria. I know it because of the dress. And I got the guitar, right? And I, and I also think of the stage parts, and I'm out there, oh, dear, female. And I know just enough of the sound of music to know that I don't know it, but I'm out there. That is my recurring stress dream. Now, is that ever going to happen? No, no, no. No one will ever cast me as Maria and put me on the stage. But it's that irrational, but it sure feels real. Um, kind of my fears about cooking. I have very similar fears about cooking. I'm 41, and I'm better. I actually have, like, two meals I make, and they're good. I mean... I make them consistently. I know how to do them. They do not scare me. I serve them to my friends, and all my friends eat them over and over again. But um, I've tried to overcome some of my fears related to cooking, and I get help from friends who will be there, you know, okay, honey, this is, you know, now you, you measure. No, 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 use the back of the knife. Okay, there you go. And, and um, now it's time for the yeast, and yeast really scares me. <laughs> you know the little red, white, and blue packets, you know? Active yeast, this is alive, right? It's alive. It says it on the packet. And once you start the yeast thing, you have to feed it because it's living. It's a living thing. And you're supposed to touch it. I do not, you know, I literally can hear my friend Pat Edley saying, Tara, you have to touch the, touch the dough. I don't want to touch the dough. <laughs> it's good. It feels really, who likes to touch the dough? And me, yeah, right? So... Rational fears, irrational fears, things that you can't relate to, but you then have fears that I can't relate to um, as well. Now, how is it that our fears reveal our hearts? There's a quote in your handouts on this section by Ed Welch again. And he talks about how whatever it is we think we need is very close to what we fear. Whatever it is we think we need is very close to what we fear. I think I need to be able to bake bread because good Christian women bake bread. <laughs> they are not lawyers and MBAs who fly 50,000 miles a year and abandon their small children. No, good Christian women wear denim jumpers and have long, straight brown hair and are thin, right, and petite, <laughs> and they bake bread. That is the good Christian woman, and in every way, I fail, right? So do you see how it's not about the bread, it's not even about the yeast. It's about my heart in this regard. Why don't you want to talk in front of groups? Quiet one. So sweet. So sweet. I'm married to little steady Freddy type B. But you know what he's, he told me once? He said, I should talk up more in a meeting at, at work or in a Bible study or at a deacon's meeting. But sometimes I don't want to look stupid. I don't want to say the wrong thing, right? <gasps> That's Armenian. <gasps> right? Or I don't want to cause offense, so I stay quiet even when I should be speaking. So sometimes, you know, we, we, we don't look like a fearful person. We look like a calm and quiet and happy person, but we might be in such bondage to fear that we never say a word. We never get up out of our chair and go and meet and greet that new person because we, we just sit there. We're so in bondage to fear that we actually don't even uh, move. I use the example... Um, Straightening that out-of-control drawer because you can't straighten out your daughter's out-of-control life. Anybody else like to straighten drawers? Yes. Now, don't get me wrong. I think that a nicely organized drawer is a mark of godliness, and it's a good thing. And I, I like file folders, and I like Sharpies, and I like little cute um, paper clips that have stripes on them. This is a good thing, you know? I think that office supplies are one of life's greatest pleasures. Everybody, anybody else? Anybody else? Yes! But one time I 
I was telling my pastor about this day. I was just stressing out, and I was really, really anxious. And I was, I was walking around the house, and I was looking for a messy drawer. I was just looking for a messy. I was like, I needed my fix. You know, I just needed a hit. And uh, he's like, or you could pray. This is what he says to me. Or you could pray. But he could totally picture me looking around. I just trying to make order because why? What is it that I think I need? I need order. And I don't think I'm ever going to have it. Because I have small children at home. Yes? Yes? And even if they're sleeping, it's like somehow things just, you, you can't, it's, it's a constant stream of chaos. So, what is it that you think you need? What are you afraid you won't have? Or, what are you afraid it will be taken away from you? What is it that you think you need? What is it afraid, what are you afraid that you will never have? I do a lot of women's retreats. Think I ever hear that? I just, I just, I just want a husband. I know I would be so happy if I could just be married. Because the birds would be singing, la la la. <laughs> and hey, I love being married. I'm grateful. Christian marriage is wonderful. Don't get me wrong. But the truth is, how many women do you also think I hear that say, "I know I would be completely happy in my life if only I were not married. Every other aspect of my life is going great." But my husband is struggling with fill-in-the-blank. Or we've been married. Uh, my pastor and I do marital mediation. People who've been married for 10, 20, 30 years who love Jesus, love the Lord, lead on the worship team, love their children, and hate each other. Right? There has been a breach and a, a broken trust or hurt or offense. And when we sit in the mediation room, I'm, I'm, a, I'm not exaggerating when I say they will talk about hurt from their honeymoon which was over three decades ago, as raw as though it were today, right? So is our fear, is fear ever tied to relationships? Yes, right? So what about your fears? I, um, I, looked, up, I looked up the word fear and just some of the synonyms for fear. Agitation, angst, anxiety. Cowardice, creeps, foreboding, fright, funk, recreancy. I don't know what that means. Uneasy, feel concerned, shudder, shun, apprehensive, mistrust, disquietude, frightened, terrify, astound, terrorize, intimidate, fearing, frightened, and fear of horror-stricken, terror-stricken, panic-stricken. There's a lot of words to describe what we were talking about. Yes? Put it on a fancy chair. When will we never need any of those words? At the end of today. (laughs) And if you buy some books. (laughs) The front row had it right here. They were exactly right. Of course they were. Heaven, think about this. In heaven, we will not need any more of those words, ever. Won't that be such a good day? I mean, I think in my 20s, I kind of wanted to live. You know, you're still so excited about life. Woohoo! <laughs> you hit 40, and heaven sounds really good. <laughs> just want to tell you. And I'm not like suicidal or depressed. I'm just saying that even the things of this life grow strangely dim in light of his glory and grace. So, how can we have that, that um, wonderfulness of heaven in moments here, imperfectly, but in moments here? Um, David Paulison translates Psalm 131. And I know you know Psalm 131, so I really like the David Paulison uh, translation. He says it this way, Lord, my heart is not proud. My eyes are not haughty. I do not go after things too great and too difficult for me. Surely I have composed and quieted my soul like a weaned child on his mother. Like a weaned child on me is my soul. Israel, hope in the Lord now and forevermore. My budget is not balanced. I cannot shop in the regular size clothing area. (laughs) I have conflicts in my relationships. My home is full of golden retriever dog hair. Any other golden retriever mama? (laughs) And dust. It's embarrassing, right? Dog hair and dust, not good. My children are not 100% of the time perfectly obedient. Anybody? Anybody? (laughs) Right. Yet we can have peace in the storms of life. Peace in the middle of life. How? In your notes, I called it 
the bigger fear. We need more fear. We need more fear, and we need it to be a bigger fear. And First Peter is um, just lays it out perfectly for us. So now I'm going to read First Peter. And um, so if you're whatever translation Bible, please open your Bibles. If you can, kind of, I don't know how you can balance on your seats, but open your um, Bibles. And if you can, keep a pencil or pen in another hand and even take some notes as we read. This is active reading. This is not passive checking out, checking your text messages, you know, doing your Facebook update while catechizing your children on the elliptical trainer while drinking only water, never soda, right? This is like, no. Let's try to apply ourselves wholly to God's word and specifically thinking about this topic of fear and peace and rest and what is this bigger fear that we need. So I'm going to read all of 1 Peter chapter 1. <clears throat> and to do it, I'm going to sit down to read God's word. 1 Peter 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, strangers in the world, scattered throughout Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who've been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who, through faith, are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him, and even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls." Concerning the salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that have now been told to you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy, because I am holy. Since you call on a Father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for your brothers. Love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. This is the word of God. Anything strike you in this topic of fear? Did you just jump right over verse 2? That's what we usually do. We don't even hear it. It's like a breath. Where's the peace to you? But what is grace? Grace is God's loving favor to sinners in Christ. But what is peace? Peace is the objective condition of being right with God through Christ. That flows from that relationship. Hear it again. Grace and peace. Verse 2. There it is. Grace and peace to you. Grace 
God's loving favor to sinners in Christ. Peace, the objective condition of being right with God through Christ, together with all that flows from that relationship. How is it possible? Again, keep your eyes just looking. Just don't, uh, don't take your eyes off of 1 Peter. Verse 3, according to his great mercy. Not according to your discipline. Not according to how hard you work. Not according to our works, but because of his great mercy. Keep, keep reading. He has caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, here's another word, hope. We use the word hope in a way that is not biblical. You know, I hope to see you tomorrow. Eh, might, might not. See how it goes. Hope. That is not biblical hope. Biblical hope is confident expectation of future blessing based on the facts and promises of God's word. I'll say it again. Biblical hope is confident expectation of future blessings based on the facts and promises of God's word. And it's not even just hope, it's living hope. Living hope. You know what that means? Permanent, undying, forever, eternal, living hope. What can man do to me? He can kill my body, but he cannot take my soul. That is confident expectation of future blessing based upon this fact, this promise in God's word. What, what is it? The inheritance. The inheritance. Oh, this is very encouraging, people. The inheritance that is imperishable, undefined, and unfading in this great mercy God is giving us a new birth. Any of you choose to be born? Raise your hand if you chose to be born. Pick the time, pick the date, pick the manner. Can we jump back into our mother's womb and be born again? A new birth. Now we have this inheritance that is imperishable and unfading. Why? Because it is kept by God. Look, kept by God. Does it feel like God is keeping you? your inheritance, even your very life right now, guarding you by faith? Or are you afraid because your husband has abandoned you? Are you afraid because you have lost your job? Are you afraid because of a fatal illness? I, I stop because I have a friend right now. She could be with the Lord this moment, literally within the last 10 days moved into hospice final care. And I've never known a person in my life more at peace than this woman who's suffering physically, but um, she is facing this fatal illness. Intractable pain, loneliness. Some of you are here at a women's retreat and you're surrounded by women and you just feel so alone. Nobody knows you. And if they knew you, you think they wouldn't like you. So you don't let them know you because you're terrified. You know, um, it took going to friend prayer group for me this week, because I really was. This is completely freaking out last weekend. Um, and then I went, we had this little group of four women that we get together on Tuesday mornings. And again, it just reminded me, so much of this faith life, isn't it true that we can think it, we can claim to believe it, but then, here I am, overwhelmed by fears. What's happened? I was so afraid that... Well, part of it is like, am I going crazy? Like I knew sometimes some of you can't relate, but some of you understand what I mean when I say I'm afraid I'm going crazy. But also, I'm just afraid I'm so off. I'm so different. Everybody else, they never waver in their faith. They're so godly and secure, and they don't sit there sometimes and wake up. C.S. Lewis puts it this way. He says, you know, even the most devout Christian, every once in a while will wake up and think, is there a God? Right? It's true. Because even the most devout atheist will look at a beautiful sunset sometimes and just think, man, maybe there's something more to this, you know? And it's true. But isn't it also true that when we can speak honestly and be ourselves truthfully to even just one other human being, and they don't respond like this, <laughs> I thought you were a Christian. They say, oh. I know, I know. 
What is, what's assaulting us? What's assaulting us? This inheritance and this living hope, we can settle it once and for all in our minds. Even this very morning, even as we're about to go and, and reflect on these questions, we can settle it. The strength of God himself is God's provision and protection. The very strength of God himself is what guards and shields us. The strength of God himself is our provision and our protection. This is what it means to fear God. And this is the bigger fear we need. We don't need to try to turn away from our fears because seriously, all that will do is lead us to more fears. <laughs> then we will try to turn away from those fears and then we'll be afraid that we're not turning away good enough and then we'll turn to more fears. But instead, this idea of right worship, of fearing God, to fear God is to trust God. This bigger fear displaces all of these lesser and they're, they're, not, um, they're not insignificant. They're, they're significant fears. It is a terrifying thing to face death. It is a terrifying thing to face unemployment, financial ruin, um, apostasy of our children. These are horrible things. They are worthy of intercessory prayer. They are worthy of our grief, of our wailing, of our mourning. And by the way, the Psalms give us so many outlets for our hurts and our fears and our anxiety. But... There is something that is bigger than all of those fears, and that is the fear of God. That's where we get our peace. Peace from another, based on another. Peace from another, based on another, because of another. You've got to see this is how Peter changed. Yes? How did he become the apostle of hope? How did he have peace even to his death? Peace from another, from God himself, based on another, Jesus Christ, our risen Lord. This is where it comes from. And then, by the way, this foundation doesn't move. It doesn't change based upon circumstance. The fear of God, Isaiah 33 says, the fear of God is the key to salvation and knowledge and wisdom. The fear of God is the key to salvation and knowledge and wisdom. Psalm 119 says, my flesh trembles in fear of you. My flesh trembles in fear of you. I stand in awe of you, God. Do you see how when we are terrified at the lesser fears, in that moment, we are not standing in awe of God, are we? While we are in bondage to anxiety and worry, um, my friend and I are both over... We're to, we, we were very we're anxious women, and um, we went to a seminar once, and the, the man who was teaching it, we totally related, because he talked about people who go into a room, and it's a scanning, 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 scanning. Some of you are like me right now, even now. You're scanning, scanning, scanning. If somebody drops something, you are on it, right? Scanning, scanning. The door's about to get the kid's hand. You've got it. You've got it. Scanning. Because why? We're this hypervigilant people. I know. It's not pleasant. I'm not saying it's pleasant, but... <laughs> It can be really helpful in a pinch, but as a general way to live, not, not so great, right? Then there's like the Freds of the life, Seti, Freddie, and my best girlfriend, Samara. Those of you who saw the video series, you heard about Samara. Samara and Tara, if you want to go to Guadalajara, that's what I was saying. Right? <laughs> Samara is the most laid-back human being I've ever met except for Fred, right? They are both just these very relaxed, um, type B, very phlegmatic uh, personalities. Why am I even telling you all of these things? Um, Blessed are flesh trembles. I don't know. But there was a quick aside, and now I'll jump right back onto the train tracks to say to you. Oh, yes, I remember now. Because when we're trembling in the, the small things, we're not standing in awe of God, right? That was the point. That when I, I think it's helpful to have some people who are really vigilant because um, it's fine. But when do I cross the line and think I'm God? See the difference? Um, it's fine that some of us like to try to keep people safe and we're at the playground and we're scanning, scanning, scanning. But can we keep people safe? No. Um, I can try to be wise. I can stand underneath my two-year-old while she climbs a really tall slide in case she pitches backwards. But I can't keep everybody on the playground safe. 
that is, that is beyond my physical ability as a human being because we are living in a fallen world, right? In First Peter, we read that we will face grief and suffering in all kinds of trials. But, and again, I swear, I'm not trying to sell you books. I don't care if you buy any books at all because I don't even pay for them until I take them back and return what doesn't sell. It's a no-risk proposition to me. So I am not here to sell you books. But I do, I have a very firm conviction that Women's events in particular, but really any event, any conference, it's fine. But it doesn't really change you, you know? I mean, one day. Does this really change us? But it might spark in us a conviction or an aha moment that if we will take time to go back to our churches and in the fellowship of the local, our local bodies under godly headship, we will study God's word now, this is where change takes place. Does, does that make sense? I'm, I'm not trying to put down myself. I try to serve you well. But the truth is, this is not really the, where life change happens. Life change happens in the church, at home, through the daily, daily grind of life. So I have found that these books are ways to get into God's word to really, for me, I journal. I don't know if you're a journaler or just if you're a talker, talk out loud how you process. But anyway, Ed Welch again. Remember, I'm the Ed Welch junkie. He says... The person who fears God will fear nothing else. I know. Pithy, isn't it? My pastor says with Tara, why five words when 500 will do? (laughs) But then there's Ed Welch. The person who fears God will fear nothing else. This bigger fear will displace it, right? Ed Welch also says, fear of God simplifies life. Fear of God simplifies life. The problem is when fear forgets God. Fear of God will simplify life. The problem is when fear forgets God. So now I would like us to try to um, be active in naming those areas of our lives when we forget God, when our fear forgets God. And how we do it is these little sheets that you have in your Notebook, so nicely prepared by all the women who worked so hard for you all for this event. It's the one that says, questions for personal reflection. And by the way, if you're the kind of person who never does this kind of thing, you hate it. You don't even know why you're at this women's retreat thing. You're just a women's event skeptic, right? That's me. (laughs) I'm a recovering women's event skeptic. Because now I like it, but I hate it. I never would go. Um, The real women's event skeptics aren't here, right? They're not here. But if you're like, I will never do those. I hate those little things. Please, just this once, just do it. Because, you know, in James, it talks about the man who looks in the mirror and he walks away and he forgets what he looks like. We are prone to forget. It's really easy for us to forget. But somehow, if we can make it black and white and articulate it, it helps us uh, to go forward. So you'll see the, um, the questions here. On a worry scale, where would you place yourself? So the, some of this is personality, temperament, um, but some of it is just... At this season of life, right now in this moment, um, where would you put yourself? What are you afraid of? What are you worried about the most? If you had to articulate, just to write that down. Now, look at the third one. When you think about God in relation to your fears, what do you think? Does he care? Do you involve him in your concerns? How does God help or fail to help you um, as regards, and how we're going to give you some time to do it because I'm going to close with a video in just a minute after I pray. Um, isn't it kind of weird that in a way we have to worry just a little bit to get past our worries because we have to name them, we have to bring them out of the darkness into the light. I really, really like the book um, A Praying Life. Have you guys gone through Paul Miller's A Praying Life? I'll tell you, in all the studies our women have done in the last few years, that has been one of the most life-changing. I know for myself, but the women would say it as well. But um, he says, Jesus does not say, Come to me, all you who have learned how to concentrate in prayer, whose minds no longer wander, and I will give you rest. (laughs) No. Jesus says, Come to me, you who are weary, heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Do you meet the criteria for coming to Jesus? Are you weary? Are you heavy laden? Are you overwhelmed by the problems of everyday life? Name them. Don't be afraid. God is bigger than everything that we can list on this sheet of paper or every sheet of paper in the world. 
He is bigger than them. Name them, identify them, feel them. I was remarking to a woman this morning, you know, nothing makes me more desperate in fear than insomnia. I struggle with insomnia, and I have my whole life. And if you want to just feel crushed, be up in the night again. <laughs> the last session of your handouts actually talks about sleep in peace. God is awake. And I'll be there in the night, awake with insomnia, thinking sleep in peace. God is awake. <laughs> so um, what makes you desperate in your fear? I will pray. We'll watch this video. And then you guys are going to have a nice extended um, break. So let me pray. Lord, thanks so much that you, you have um, saved us. And you are saving us, and you will save us. Thank you that we do have an inheritance that is kept in heaven by you, that it will never spoil or fade or perish. Please help us now as we're honest about some of our fears and feelings. Um, help us, Lord, to see you rightly and um, to bring these before your throne and to experience uh, conviction and encouragement. And uh, most of all, Lord, we, we truly pray that you would help us to believe you more than we believe our fears, uh, to listen to you more than we listen to our fears. This we pray in Jesus' name.